Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are really, truly present here in our midst this morning in the Blessed Sacrament. And we thank you, Lord, for being here. We thank you for wanting to be here. We thank you for the gift of faith. Lord, we believe that you love us. We believe that you instituted the blessed sacrament because you wanted to stay with us as our divine lover. You were moved out of love for us to stay with us, to remain with us, to accompany us, to encourage us, to heal us, to show us the way to the Father. To show us how God sees us. And as we just heard in the song, freedom comes when we see the way you see us. And we pray for that freedom today. We pray for the gift to see ourselves the way you see us. And to see each other the way that you see all of us. Help us, Lord, to see and love in ourselves and in one another what you see and love in us. Give us that vision, Lord, that vision of faith that comes from the heart of the Father our loving Father who wants to provide for us, who wants to protect us, who wants us to grow and mature in love. Mother Mary, we crown you the queen of our time together here this morning as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone. I want to continue on this theme for a moment of seeing, seeing ourselves as God sees us. And so I'm going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 1. Verses 35 to 40 or so. So this is John chapter 1, verse 35 and following. The next day, John, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So I think Jesus asks all of us, This question this morning, what do you want? 
He sees all of you just as he saw those two disciples. He sees you all here this morning. And he calls you by name. He looks into your eyes with love, with compassion, with tenderness. And he's asking you right off the bat here, what do you want? So I just encourage all of you to close your eyes for a moment and to respond to Jesus. Answer that question. What is it that you want this morning? What is it that you need this morning? What do you want from Jesus? What do you want for yourself? He wants to give you something. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be freed? Do you want to be encouraged? Do you just want to rest? Rest in his arms this morning. Come and you will see. Saint, uh, he's not a saint yet, but Pope Benedict XVI said that an even better translation of this phrase is come and you will become one who sees. Come and you will become one who sees. And I think in light of the song we were just listening to, we could ask for that grace. Lord, help me to see myself the way you see me. Help me to become one who sees myself and others the way you see me. If you weren't sure what to ask for, that's a really good thing to ask for. (laughs) We can add that to the list. God is not stingy. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. So they just were abiding with him, as you are all doing here this morning. You're abiding with the Lord. And whenever we do that, good things happen. Good things happen. So, some of you know, I've been reading this book called The Journey into the Divided Heart. Barb gave it to me a couple weeks ago. And I have to admit, yesterday I was reading a part of it, and I was really moved by it. And I wasn't sure what was happening, like why I was so moved by it. But the answer came later, yesterday afternoon, and then there were more things given to me this morning that I want to share with you today. The journey into the divided heart, what is that all about? Well, on some level, it's what we're all called to do, to walk this journey into the heart of Christ, And his heart's not divided, but it's to bring our divided heart, our broken heart, into the presence of the Lord and his sacred heart, his divine mercy. Inevitably, as we go through life, we get hurt in different ways. We hurt ourselves in different ways. And that's basically what causes a divided heart, meaning that We wall it off. We wall it off to protect it in different ways. He actually identifies 17 different defense mechanisms in this book. 
which I've never read about. I mean, I've heard about all of these different things, but the fact that he can describe them and, and uh, yeah, and just help you to understand how they operate, I think is helpful. And so we all do that, right? It's the proverbial walls around your heart. So if you think about that, yeah, that tends to divide your heart. Because it's not that our, our hearts in their entirety are completely walled off. You know, you wouldn't be here this morning if your, you know, heart was completely walled off. You would be huddled up in your closet at your house probably, you know, if you were completely walled off. So none of us here has a completely walled off heart. So it's not that our hearts are completely divided. That's not true of anybody. But there are parts of our hearts that we do tend to guard very carefully. And because they've been hurt, and you know, it's like when you get a bruise and that part of your body is, is very tender, it's sensitive, and if it gets touched again, it hurts, right? Last Monday, we, some of you know that we had this old Coke machine in our basement and we rented a dolly, and four, it took four of us to get it up out of the basement, and it was really hard. <laughs> and it fell on me at one point uh, as we were moving it, uh, thankfully not like all of its weight, but like I've got bruises on my arms from the Coke machine, you know, so like my arms are still tender, <laughs> you know, there's some bruises there. And so that happens, right? We go through life and we get bruised, we get broken, we get bumped. And the natural response to that is to protect. It's to, to guard. But I think uh, the author's name is Steve Fair, F-A-I-R. Uh, he's a Michigander, actually. At least he lives here now. I don't know if he was born here, but lives here now. And so his, I think his very valid insight is if we try to protect ourselves from getting hurt by other people, well, that necessarily creates an obstacle of sorts to intimacy with God. And we tend to then rely on ourselves to protect ourselves instead of trusting in the Lord completely to protect us and to provide for us and to take care of us, very simply, no matter what. And it's not that we do that consciously. It's not like we wake up and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take care of myself today and I don't need your help and I'll be just fine. Thank you very much. You know, just make sure everything goes well, <laughs> that my plans all work out, Lord, okay? Here's my list. Here's my list of everything I want to happen for me today. Thank you. And, you know, none, we don't pray like that. You know, we don't really think it through like that. But on some level, that's what's happening when we decide for ourselves to take care of ourselves or to protect ourselves. We can tell ourselves that. And that's one of the ways that we can have a divided heart. 
sometimes it's just getting hurt and, and we don't even know what's all there. There can be some false beliefs or lies or toxic thoughts, whatever you want to call them, along with painful emotion. So the Lord wants to bring healing to our hearts and to all of these different parts of our hearts. So yesterday, I was reading through one of the chapters here. Uh, this, one of the defense mechanisms is addictions. So I was reading through that one, and he tells this story about Jane. He calls her Jane. So I'm going to read a little bit of this. She was always busy. In fact, Jane was never not busy. She could find something to do when there was nothing to do. Anybody relate to that? She got a lot of work done, helped out her friends and neighbors more than most, and seemed on top of everything in her life. The problem was that Jane was experiencing anxiety and panic attacks. I sensed that her addiction to busyness was the cap on the bottle of her heart. Under that cap, a great deal of hidden pressure was trying to burst forth. I challenged her to go home, turn off the phone and the TV, and get rid of all distractions. That was her assignment for counseling. After avoiding this particular homework assignment for three months, Jane was able to sit and be still for five to ten minutes. Right, so maybe that's a Lenten resolution that you want to make for yourself. You know, if you find yourself being so busy so much of the time, then just turn some things off and be still. Because good things happen. A remarkable and yet painful thing happened to Jane in that 10 minutes. While sitting and being still in her apartment one day, Jane had some memories surface in her heart. They were pretty tough for her to bear. Jane's heart was exposed, and the root of the pain and the origin of her deepest hurt was uncovered. Jane told me of a time in her childhood when she had plans to spend time with a young friend. Jane had to cancel her plans with her and later learned that her friend had tragically died in a fire with the rest of her family at the house where she was supposed to go and play that same day. Jane finally let her heart remember and feel that day so far in the past. What a horrific set of emotions she faced. She was very brave. As she shared this with me, we found a vicious thought, a vicious thought, a toxic thought, a false belief that had been plaguing her unbeknownst to her ever since that time. In asking her to describe the thinking behind the pain and grief she had suffered through for over 30 years, she said, I should have been there, Steve. I could have saved my friend. I failed her. I failed her. So as I read that yesterday morning, I started to cry in my chapel. Now, I never had anything like that happen to me. So I was like, whoa, what's that all about? <laughs> but when things like that happen, I've learned you got to pay attention to them. Right, so if a song moves you in a particular way, or a story moves you in a particular way, or a movie moves you in a particular way, 
Pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. Bob Schutz, the author of Be Healed, says that in any good movie, there's a Christ-like figure. If you think about it, in any good story, in any good story, there's some kind of a Christ-like figure. Not that they necessarily die in the story, but they're somehow showing compassion. They're the one believing in somebody. They're the one loving on somebody. And so Bob says for guys especially, to help them have an encounter with Christ that gets beyond their head, watching a good movie can be very helpful. Because it takes them by surprise. And he admits, you know, before he really went through a conversion himself, that there were a couple of movies that he saw that really rocked his world and helped him to evaluate his own beliefs about himself, about God, about his profession. So, yeah, it's good to pay attention whenever some work of art, a painting, a song, a movie, a book, whenever something like that moves you, it's good to pay attention to that. So I was trying to pay attention to it. Even though it happened at the end of my prayer, I'm like, okay, you know, pause, hit the pause button and just remember that happened. And, and then throughout the day, I can come back to that. So I did. And I was basically brought back to 2009, 2010, 2011. For me, those were very dark years in the, in the Legion of Christ, our, you know, we had the scandal break with our founder and all of that. And so I can remember at the time often feeling like a failure. And I think that's what really grabbed me when she said, I failed her. I failed her. I think that's what was inside of me that God wanted to bring out a sense of failure. And I think we've all felt that at one time or another in our lives. That I have failed. But I think sometimes in our relationship with God, we can always feel like a failure. Especially like the other day we read from that gospel, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And well, shoot, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. So therefore, I'm always going to be falling short of this standard that God has for me. Well, a better translation of that is be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. In Luke's translation of that phrase, it's be merciful. And that's what God is. God is love. He's merciful. And he doesn't want you to feel like you're a failure. He doesn't want you to feel like you are failing. What good father wants his children to feel like they are failing. What good mother wants their children to feel like they are failing all the time? Obviously, there's a time for correction and, and formation and, and intervening to correct, right, to guide, but that you would feel like you're a failure all the time? That doesn't sound like fun to me. And so I was 
inspired today as I continued to pray with this to look up a phrase that I knew I've read before, the Word of God. So it's 1 Corinthians 13.8. 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 8. And it reads, love never fails. <laughs> Some of you may have had uh, had this read at your wedding, you know, it, in, in the verses prior to this, Paul defines love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So I think that's something for all of us to just let soak in. What, what does that mean? How can, we, how can we apply that? Well, I think... What God is saying is whenever you love, whenever you do something with love, you can't fail. So it's the intention that counts, not the results. Let me say that again. It's the intention that counts, not the results. So then you, you can never fail. Whenever you do something out of love, it can't fail. Even if it, you know, falls flat on its face. You know, if you fall flat on your face, like I'm, I'm going to go and say this to this person out of love. I really, you know, I feel moved to do this, and they may turn around and scream at you and call you all sorts of creative names. And okay, <laughs> I did it out of love, but you never know, you know, how later that might really stick with that person. You never know. Father Steve Poulos told a great story the other night at Awaken. He said, God often speaks to me through basketball because <laughs> I love basketball. So that's even a nice little thing to, to ponder. Like, Think about the things that you like to do, the things that you're interested in, the things that you've always enjoyed as a girl, as a young woman, now, wherever you are in life, like, God can speak to you through those things. And so Father Steve says, yeah, God speaks to me through basketball. And the other day in my prayer, I remembered a game that I was in years ago. It was a pickup game, and my team was getting killed. But this guy on the other team comes up to me. He says, hey, man, you should shoot more. And he was like, well, who are you to tell me I should shoot more? <laughs> you know. But then it came up in his prayer the other day. And he's like, oh. So like God was telling him, Steve, you should shoot more. Meaning, like, when you have an opportunity to say something or to do something in my name for the good of the gospel, go for it. Take a shot. Take a shot in love, right? You can't fail if you take a shot in love. 
you might miss the shot, so to speak. It may not go through. It may not be received well. But just take a shot. So I think that's, again, something that we can all really ponder today. Love never fails. And so let's just sit with that for a few minutes. I'll I'll pause here. And we'll come back to develop this a little bit more. So we'll continue with what could be an obstacle to this belief that love never fails, an obstacle to our action, taking action, the action that you sense God is calling you to take on some level, be it uh, in your personal walk with him, in your marriage, in your family, in your community. God is always calling us by name to himself, calling us to greater intimacy with him, greater friendship with him. And as he calls us to himself, he introduces us into this dynamic of love, his dynamic of dynamic love. So as he calls us to himself and we spend time with him, then he necessarily sends us out to be his disciples, his joyful missionary disciples to share the good news, to spread the love. But sometimes we can be afraid to do that. And one of the other defense mechanisms that Steve talks about here is avoidance. And he lists here, let me read this. There are many examples in scripture of people who used avoidance Jonah ran away and avoided Nineveh and God's will. Moses wanted to avoid Pharaoh because of his insecurity about his ability to speak. Eli avoided confronting his sons who were priests and was disciplined by God. And Peter avoided potential harm by denying Jesus three times. Makes sense, right? They avoided these circumstances for different reasons. One of the main reasons, though, is fear, for sure. Steve says, here are some examples from my life, and I encourage you to think of times and places in your life when you have avoided something or someone. This defense mechanism is one of the most common to all of us. I was the kid in class all through elementary school who, when asked to give a book report or speech, was terrified. I used avoidance by slumping in my chair as the teacher took volunteers. Being the last to go forward put even more pressure on me as I compared myself to all the others. And then he says here, why didn't all of us learn to volunteer first when we were anxious to get it over with? I was also shy 
when wanting to play with others on the playground and later in life would shy away from asking out whatever girl I thought was cute. When I look back, I can now see that avoidance stole experiences from me, but that was all I knew. What a great insight that avoidance can steal experiences from you. And that's one of the devil's main agendas, right? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil's three main uh, tactics. Steal, kill, and destroy. So I don't think we often, I think we often think that, okay, the devil's going to steal something that I already have. He's going to rob me of something I already have. But what about this? How many opportunities is the devil robbing you of because of fear, because of avoidance? Wow. That's profound. Of course, this fear continued past high school and through college, right up to the time I became a professional in the field of social work. Public speaking opportunities often presented themselves, but with avoidance wholly ingrained in my thought process and behaviors, the automatic answer to such requests was always, no, not me, and I am more of the behind-the-scenes kind of a guy. <laughs> How often have we said stuff like that? I'm more this kind of a gal or guy, you know. Oh, that's not me. I really don't do that. Right? The scariest thing about this defense and others is that I had to find myself by this set of behaviors and self-protective measures. And the more I described myself as a shy, introverted, behind-the-scenes kind of a guy, the more I actually believed it. Here comes the punchline. I thought this was my personality, the way God made me. Others began to define me this way too, not out of ill will toward me, but out of what they saw on the surface versus my real identity, my character, my personality. My entire picture of who I was was revolving around this avoidance mechanism, which was not allowing me to see all that I truly was in Christ. Mm, that word see came up again. By using these defense mechanisms, we don't see all that there is to see about ourselves and about others. I was finally able to hear, quote unquote, the rest of the story when I learned to truly hear the voice of my creator who confronted my thinking in love. See, God even does things in love because he is love. He can't do anything that is not out of love. After I had turned down a speaking engagement, I remember clearly hearing God say to me, Steve, you think you are shy and introverted, but you are not. It's pretty clear. I did what many of you do also. I proceeded to tell God why he was wrong in order to help him see what he was missing. <laughs> and then he puts here, sorry, God. I reported confidently to God that I never really liked talking to groups of people, that I was uncomfortable speaking in crowds, and that I loved to serve where I didn't need to be noticed. 
I even tried to help God see that my family and many of my friends were the same way. I proceeded to tell him that much of this shyness was likely just how he made me. I'm sure he had a good laugh at all of this, as I can now too, as you are all laughing. He says here, you can see where this is going, can't you? How wrong I was. It took God only a few sentences to point out that I was not shy, but that I just avoided potential discomfort because I was afraid. And I think you could also say, based on what I was sharing in that last reflection, I just avoided potential failure because I was afraid. God blew a hole in my lifelong theory about who I was and said, son, you are not shy or introverted. You just have a spirit of fear that manifests in avoidance of anything frightening. And you have defined your personality around this spiritual stronghold. And then he writes, wow, wow. That was a hard one to take, and it has been even harder to walk out. How exhilarating all these things are to me now that my divided heart is healing. Not that it's healed, but it is healing. It's an ongoing process. They almost got stolen from me through my belief in a lie about myself that's centered on a single defense mechanism called avoidance. Taking risks is necessary, and as Joyce Myers says, do it afraid. <laughs> I remember hearing, too, the definition of courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. And as Brene Brown says, you know, what act of courage doesn't involve vulnerability? What act of courage doesn't involve uncertainty? If you knew exactly what was going to happen, then it wouldn't be courageous. Right? What act of courage does not involve uncertainty or vulnerability? They all do. I think the revelation here for us is that we could be missing out on so much. We could be missing out on so much because we're so preoccupied with defending ourselves from discomfort, from getting hurt, from failing, from what other people think about us. And Jesus, like a good coach, is saying, girl, get out of the comfort zone. My football coach in college used to say that as we ran wind sprints. Get out of the comfort zone. <sighs> it hurts. It necessarily hurts. It is uncomfortable. But that's the only way we grow, right? That's the only way that we continue to grow, and it's really the only way that God can heal us. The principle is you got to feel it in order to heal it. Write that down if you don't already know that. You have to feel it in order to heal it. 
And let's face it, that's why so many of us, that's why the world, anyway, avoids silence. You know, why do you think these things are so popular? Because you can be distracted 24-7 now, right? At your fingertips. That's why this is such a holy season. That's why Lent is such a powerful season. That's why the devil hates Lent. He's like, people do during Lent what they're supposed to do all year long. That's why I hate it. You know, but it's a good wake-up call for us. It's a good time to take our spiritual temperature. So we pray, we fast, we look to give alms, we look to get out of our comfort zone is really you know, one way you could say it. We give God an opportunity. We make space for God, right? As I've, some of you have heard me say, God doesn't need more chocolate or coffee or beer or wine. You know, he's got lots of that, right? So I'll offer that up. Well, God doesn't need that, right? But what you're doing is just making space and making time for God when you give those things up. So maybe those things that you're attached to, that you use to hide behind, that you use to numb the pain, well, if you do let go of some of those things, then God starts to, to work. And he works powerfully. And it doesn't take much. I, you've all heard my story in college when I decided in Lent 1993 just to pray a little bit. Just a little bit. It didn't take much, I can assure you. And God took full advantage. I call him the divine sniper, you know? He just <laughs> hit the bullseye when he knew that his window of opportunity was very narrow. But he hit it. You know, he hit it. And so it doesn't take much. Don't feel like, oh, I got to buy this book now, and I got to read this book, and I got to do this. No, you don't have to do all that. I mean, I think it is a great book. I do recommend it. <laughs> but whatever it is that you do, whatever little efforts you make in faith and love, God will bless that. I'll close with this other scripture that came to me this morning here. I found it when I was researching 1 Corinthians 13.8. It's Galatians 5.6. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Right, so for Paul, you know, a very devout Jew, he uses this as an example. But basically what he's saying is, you know, all that other stuff that we get so worked up about, that doesn't matter. You know, that has no value in the kingdom. The only thing that counts, the only thing that really matters is faith expressing itself through love. That's all that really matters. Faith expressing itself through love. That's all that matters. And then you can't lose. You can't lose when you, when you operate with that mindset. You can't lose. You can't fail.
so 